Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. You know, there's a, there's a visible world and there's an invisible world, right? There are things that exist that we cannot see. Uh, that visible, material, physical world, and then there is that spiritual, invisible world that exists. Both exist. And you can see the material, the physical. Certainly you cannot see what's happening in the spiritual realm. You may see evidence of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And what takes place in that spiritual realm, there's a spiritual realm of good and evil. And what takes place in those realms affect the material and the physical. That's how prayer works. That's how faith works. When you pray, when you believe, you, you are connecting with the spiritual life, with the, with the presence and with the provision of God, and you are claiming it, you're laying hold of it, and what happens as a result of that is it begins to pierce its way into the material world. It manifests is what we call it. We have what we call the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world. And we have the kingdom of God. Both are in existence. The kingdom of this world is the world system. It's a way essentially that man does things himself. Oftentimes uh, this is, we see this is actually uh, as a result of man's sin, rebellion against God and the enemy, Satan, uh, taking that authority, if you will. And then much of this we see today that any, any person that is without Christ, any person that, uh, that's not living according to kingdom of God principles is living according to those worldly principles, a world system. Now, some of those things don't seem so bad, but it's very different. And then there's some things in the kingdom of this world that, that just are wrong and we don't want to practice at all. But you see, there's a culture there's a culture in this world. There is a material world culture, how people think, how they act, their priorities, their values. And, and there's one, there's a culture in, your family has a culture. There's a way you do things in your family. There's kind of a way you think. Churches have a culture. They're not all identical. They're different. It's the way you do life. It's the way you think. The kingdom of God has a culture. And, and some of the challenging, the problem that we have today is because we have people who've been born again. Christ has come into their life. They've been, a new heart, they've been changed. But they've not been able to move over into the culture of the kingdom of God. I don't know whether that makes sense to you or not. But if you, if you think that through for a little bit, you'll, you'll begin to see that you've got a lot of people that profess Christ and they, and they have a real encounter and experience. They know Christ the Savior. But it really hasn't affected their life that much. They still think maybe the same way as even unbelievers think. They, they still have the same priorities in their life that the world system says should be priorities in your life. So what we have is people that are moved into one kingdom through Christ. That's how you come to the kingdom of God. Is he, he, he came back and restored it. We bought it, you know, bought it through his blood, defeated the enemy, made, us, made it possible for us to become members again of his family and of his kingdom. I mean, we've been talking about this for several weeks. I think we're getting that, aren't we? Do, do we get that now? That 
And when he brings us uh, in, into this kingdom, then that's when the growing begins. That's when the discipleship begins. And that's what the Christian life is all about, is you've been placed in another kingdom, you different citizens, you have a different culture, so learn to live like it. And I think what the church is facing, what so many Christians are facing is they've never learned how to live the way God designed for them to live in this kingdom. Now what I'm saying is stronger and more powerful than what most people may be hearing. But this is a fundamental truth that I don't think many of us really have a good grasp on yet. I think I'm still getting a grasp on that myself and I've been in this thing for a long time. But it's becoming more real to me every day now as to how this is what God is. This is how God has shown us to operate. And if we'll operate, live according to these principles, then we will experience what God wants us to experience. If we don't, it doesn't matter how much we pray. It doesn't matter how much we go to church. It doesn't matter how much harder we try. It doesn't matter how sincere we are. There are principles and priorities. He says, if you'll do this, then blessings will come your way. If you'll do this, it will work. So you can be saved. You can be a Christian and still not be experiencing or living out the life that God desires for you to live. How many of you believe that's true? I do. I've been there, done that. I visit there occasionally now. It's just, it's just that, that happens. So we've been talking a lot about these life precepts or principles of the kingdom. And let's just do a quick flyover now of those seven uh, precepts we talked about. We started off by talking about you sow, you reap. This is a life principle. It's a law. It works. Now, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap, the scripture says. Now, you may not sow it immediately, and it may not be an identical kind, but if you sow something, eventually you're going to reap it in some way, one way or another. Uh, you know, what goes around comes around. It's a, it's a life principle for believers and unbelievers, for good and for bad. Then we talked about you use it or you'll lose it. Remember? We said that God's given us certain abilities and gifts and talents. And he's given, to, to, uh, given them to us for a purpose. For us to use them to his glory and use them to advance his kingdom. And if we don't practice those, if we don't put them uh, to work in our lives, then we begin to lose them or lose the effectiveness of them in our lives. Very important principle. Then we talked about Greatness is serving. The world has its idea of what being great is. You know, and, and you can see it on your television. You can see it on the football field. You can see it in, in, uh, in commercials. You can see it in people's priorities. This is what makes people great. But really that's quite opposite from true greatness. And in the kingdom of God, true greatness is all about serving. It's all about having the heart to serve. And that was important truth for us to learn. We looked at that a couple of weeks. Then we talked about generosity, that it's important to be givers. Whatever we have that's good has come from God. It doesn't really belong to us anyway. So let's be generous. Let's give as he teaches us to give. And let's look for opportunities of blessing to give. You will never outgive God. And when you give obediently, I guarantee you, God says that his promises, his blessings will come your way. I'm not saying you'll be 
uh, that, that your life will be uh, without problems or without challenges. And I'm not saying it will happen as quickly as you may want it to be done time. But the truth is that when you sow and give generously, not only give money, but give in your time and given resources and things and helping people, that when you do that, then uh, it pays off in your life. It has benefits. Then we talked about unity, the power of agreement. Two of you agree is touching anything on earth that they may ask of the Father, He will give it to them. That there's power in unity. That there's strength in numbers. Then we looked at the fact that persevere is really not a really nice sounding word most of the time to us. It's not one of those um, uh, feel good words. But persevere is a real strong word. It's a kingdom word that says persevere means to stand strong no matter what you're facing, being firmly rooted in God's Word, knowing without doubt that you will come through this thing victoriously. Yeah. Stay strong. Stay stead steadfast. That's biblical perseverance. Then we start talking about the final seventh precept we're looking at. I'm not saying that there perhaps are more, but depending on how you divide it. But the seventh precept we looked at was that faith is the key. Bottom line, you look at everything else of this, that, that faith is the key. We looked at the eyes of faith, the heart of faith. And this morning, I, I want to carry that just a little bit further and look at a little bit different aspect. And today we're going to look at uh, fig trees and mountains. Fig trees and mountains. And I, I want us uh, to, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. And let me kind of set this up for us today. Here's the context. Here's what's happening in Mark 11. Jesus has made his triumphal, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Remember, this is during the week of the crucifixion, this Passion Week, we call it. And there at the beginning of the week, then there on the donkey, on the colt, which was a signal, a symbol to the to the. Uh, Israel's to, to Israel people, to Jewish people, to Israel during that day, it was a symbol to them that this was the Messiah. There were ancient prophecies given to them that when the Messiah returned, he would come riding on a colt, donkey. And so, the, so it, the, it was time. And in their mind, you understand, we know this. In their mind, they thought, we've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been under different uh, 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 governments or, or kings, tyranny. We've been in bondage, but the God's word has promised that he will send a Messiah and he will become the king over all. He will reign from Jerusalem. And they thought that's what was taking place at that time. Jesus spit all the bill, at least in most of their understanding, but the Jewish crowd didn't see it that way. The religious leaders of the Jewish crowd. Well, he was making his entry into Jerusalem. People were gathered around by the hundreds, perhaps thousands, gathered crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. And they were declaring, this is the promise of the, of the, the one who is a descendant of the King, of King David, who's coming to reestablish the throne here in Jerusalem and will no longer be under dominion and authority of, of another land, of another country, another ruler. It was an exciting time for them. So he rode into the city that day, and we're not given the information as to what all happened, as the, the things that happened during that day. But then at the end of the day, he and uh, his disciples made their way back to the little town or village called Bethany. Now picture geographically in your mind, if you will, that you've got 
you've got the Temple Mount or Jerusalem, which is the city built on a hill. Jerusalem was a built upon not a huge mountain, but on a small mountain or hill. And then the temple was built upon the high place there. So there was, there was the, the temple mount in the city of Jerusalem. And there was the Mount of Olives that was about two miles away. This is on the eastern side. There's the Mount of Olives. In between the Jerusalem, the temple mount, and the Mount of Olives, you travel down through the Kidron Valley. Now, I've been there. I was only 20 years old, so I was 20 years old at one time. And, and I've, I've been there, and, and I've walked down through the Kidron Valley. It's not a long distance. It's only about two miles for the whole trip. So Jesus has gone into Jerusalem there, people declaring that here's the king, the Messiah's return. They go back the two miles to Bethany. Bethany is on the Mount of Olives, if you will. And so the, we begin moving in, in Mark chapter 11. Here we see something very unusual that happened. The next day, Jesus and disciples are making a return trip back to Jerusalem. And on their way, Jesus sees in the dist distance, he sees a fig tree with leaves. And he goes to the fig tree to get something to eat, which was a common thing for travelers during that day. If there was fruit growing nearby the, uh, in their travels there, they would go and pick some of that fruit and eat to sustain them. And figs, it was a, possible, it was a popular food for that day. And people would just pick from the tree. So when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. And he did something that's just um, kind of uh, gets our attention just like that. He says he cursed the tree and he said, may no man ever eat fruit from you again. And the scripture says the disciples heard him say that. Well, now, this is important. After that happened, he continued on to Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount to Jerusalem. He went into the temple. And you know what he did then? This is when he cleansed or cleared out the temple. He went into the temple and he saw the money changers, the thieves, those that were selling sacrifices to people, uh, doves, other offering sacrifices, many of them blemished. They were, they were crooked. They were thieves. They were taking advantage of the people. And he became so angry that he turned them. That's hard for people to, Jesus meek and mild is not the picture you see there. And people sometimes have a hard time grasping this, that Jesus in a holy indignation, he wasn't, he, he, this was not a, uh, this was not a loss of temper, if you will. This was righteous indignation. He turns over. Now understand that he's just one man. He's just one man. And he comes and all these religious leaders and people that have come to take advantage of other people there have their tables set up there with the cages and various places for uh, animals to be offered, sacrificed. And Jesus begins to just turn the tables over. He begins to throw them around, turns the money changers tables over that were taking advantage of people. Now, this got their attention. It's, a, it's just amazing when you see that, that 
he wasn't attacked or that there wasn't any immediate repercussions. It says that when he did that, that at that point in time, the religious leaders made up their mind that they would find out a way to kill him. But they were afraid to do anything at that particular time because of his great authority and the people's uh, attitude toward him. The people were looking to him. So he didn't do anything at that particular time. So he leaves after all that happens, after he's come in and he's brought judgment upon uh, that particular situation. He's pronounced judgment. He's, he said, this is supposed to be called, my father's house is a place of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And then he leaves and he goes back down through the Kidron Valley back to Bethany. And on the next morning, they start back to Jerusalem and that's where we pick up there in verse 20 of Mark 11. If you see that in verse 20 of Mark 11, it says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This is 24 hours. And so then we begin to ask ourselves, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? You know, you really don't find Jesus cursing. It's not, not, it's not mentioned specifically that Jesus cursed anything else. He cursed the fig tree. Well, he didn't use four-letter words and blasphemy. That's not the kind of cursing we're talking about but he cursed that fig tree. He made a pronouncement, a declaration over that tree. He spoke to the tree. Think about that just for a moment. He spoke to the tree. And the tree responded. Now, I know that there is a general... They say that talking to plants affects them. And I suppose I really haven't read a lot in that particular area. But, I, you know, it's a living, it's, it's a living, it's a thing. Now, Deb believes it. She's accepted that completely. So whenever she's not around very much, our plants just kind of like that. But when she's around, I hear her out there talking to her flowers, just, you know, it's just talking to them now. You grow. You grow now. You're beautiful. You grow now. You know, fortunately, no people are walking around close by when she's doing all of that. But, but amazingly enough, it seems like it's working. There's something about speaking into situations that change those situations. Okay. Well, Jesus did just the opposite. He cursed the fig tree. He spoke to that tree. Now, why did he do that? Why did he do that? First of all, the scripture says that when he did that, it actually, uh, it says, that, and you find a parallel of this over in uh, Matthew also. And it says that they found no fruit. There were leaves on it, but no fruit. And it says, for it was not the season for the fruit, for the figs to be bearing fruit. And I said, well, now that's not fair. That is not fair. Jesus cursed that tree for bearing fruit and it was not the right time for that tree to be bearing fruit. That is just not right. But how many of you know that whatever he does is always right? Always. So I got to look a little bit deeper. A little bit deeper. There's a couple things we can see that. There's a lot of different things you can read on this. First of all, 
when we look at a fig tree, that it is, it kind of progresses this way. Let me give just a little, little word on this. We won't go too far into this because I don't want to use up a lot of this time. We've got a couple of things we'll talk about. That as, as the tree grows, it will begin to produce on it. I, this is after the harvest. It'll begin to produce on what's called knobs or knobs. This is a smaller type of, of fruit that's on it that precedes the actual fig. And they're edible. And it was quite common during that day that that's what people, when they went to a fig tree, when the fig tree didn't have uh, figs on it, they would take and eat that. And it was a very common thing. So what probably happened here is the tree had leaves on it and it was supposed to have these prefigs, these knobs, this edible fruit already on it, and it did not. It didn't. And whenever a tree had leaves but did not have these knobs on it, it was barren. It would never produce fruit. Never. So Jesus pronouncing a curse on, some, on something that already was cursed. The gist of this, there's a lot of different things we can draw of this, and I don't want to just stretch it out too far here. But the gist of this is, is that when something gives the appearance but is not, in fact, real, is, hypo is hypocrisy, then that is a, a dangerous situation. The problem was is that the fig tree having leaves was an indicator that there should be fruit on it. But when he got there, there was no fruit on it. The tree was lying. The tree was making a false statement. Something was out of order. Now, when I kind of look at this, and I'm thinking kind of on vernacular here is going to this. Okay, here's what happened. In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So this is what Jesus did. Now, I understand that the fig tree in Scripture is usually symbolic of or represents the nation of Israel. Now, put these two things together. On his way there, he sees a fig tree that's supposed to be bearing fruit, genuine but it's not. He goes into Jerusalem to the temple where there are religious leaders and teachers who are supposed to be the people of God. They present themselves with the appearance of being the people of God, but they're dead and they're barren and they're just pretending. They're hypocrites. You see the connection? It was, it was, there was a connection between these two things that happened. And I think the disciples, I think as he talked to them, they understood that. So what happens was, as he cursed the fig tree, he was pronouncing that because of the Jewish, because in Jerusalem the people had rejected him, rejected the truth, they were walking as religious people, but they were barren and without life, then they were under a curse and, and that they would be destroyed. And they were in 70 AD. Jerusalem was wiped out completely. But then let's follow up here for just a moment, very quickly. Let's follow up. Um, 
You know, and, and James says, faith without works is dead. So, so if you're going, you know, be real, be real, bear fruit, bear fruit. Mark chapter 11, let's pick up with verse 21 very quickly, okay? Verse 21, follow along with me. And Peter, remembering, said to him, you know, <laughs> here's what happens. They're walking by, they see the fig tree withered from its roots, it says. And it's like they're walking by and it says, Peter remembered what he's, what he'd heard Jesus. Peter remembered what he'd said, what Jesus said. And, and I wish I had the Southern version of what Peter might have said. You know, man, wow, look at that. I'm not believing it. What in the world has happened? You spoke to that fig tree yesterday. You told it it would wither and it's dead. I mean, it was something that really got Peter's attention. Now, it doesn't seem as if Jesus is giving an immediate explanation to that in the next verse, but look at it. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... He might have been looking at the Mount of Olives. I'm not sure. He might have been looking at uh, the mountain toward Jerusalem. But mountain was a, uh, was, uh, could be a symbol of, of, of strength. It could be something that was evil or bad. It was a force. It was an obstacle. So he said, say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea. And if he does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will, come, will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, he just spoken to a fig tree and told it to do something it did. He says, you speak to this mountain, tell it to be removed. You believe in your heart. If you believe and do not doubt in your heart, then you'll have whatever you say. You say to this mountain, be removed, cast in the sea. Those things you say will be done. You will have whatever you say. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. In other words, in the Amplified Bible says, believe with confident trust that you have already received them and they will be given to you. That's an important truth. Extremely important. Something that we'll get to here just, just a couple of minutes. Verse 25 says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's a strong word, isn't it? Strong word. So I want to look at four things that, that Jesus teaches here. I'm just going to walk through them rather quickly. Four things that Jesus points out for us to learn how to move in such a way as to have the kind of faith, live in such a way that has the faith to move mountains, whatever mountains you encounter in your life, okay? Now, this is important to know. Faith is the way, it's the way or the method that God has designed for us to enter a relationship with Him, for us to hear from Him, and for us to receive from Him. You see, God chose God determined that it was our trust and confidence, belief and faith in Him would be the vehicle, would be the way through which we could know Him, through which we could hear Him, and through which we could receive from Him. That, everybody got that? Very important. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that this is how we live. This is how we walk. 
We walk or we live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11 says faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that you don't see. You don't have to have faith when you see it. Having faith in something you see requires no real biblical faith. Very few people will buy something sight unseen. My granddaddy always called it buy a pig and a poke. He says, you know, if he bought something without really seeing or examining, he said, man, I got a pig and a poke. In other words, he really didn't know what he was getting. And that's really a ridiculous thing. We need to know what we're getting. You go to the Bible to find out what you get. It's unseen in the spiritual world, but by faith you bring it into the material world, into your life. It manifests. People, people often have trouble visualizing something. They cannot see it. But biblical faith requires you to do just that. Here's what happens. As you get into the Word, as you read the Word, you read God's promises, you feed upon them. It's, 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 it's not a one time a week thing. You feed upon it as a regular, this is your life. You continually take his truth into your life. It develops in your heart. It develops in your spirit that this is true. This is for me. This works. And when that happens, you begin to see it. We say it with eyes of faith. You begin to see it as being real. It's, it's good to get into a place in faith where you already see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. And I think that when real faith is at work in your life and in my life, when real faith is at work, that's what will happen. It will always, it will already seem very real to you on the inside. You're just waiting for it to show up. Now that could be a fun time. That could be kind of like Christmas. I know what I've asked for. And I, we're not looking at God as a Santa Claus. Or that. I we're not looking at God that way. You understand that. But when we make our request known and when we call upon him and we get it down on the inside of us, this is true and this is what God's going to do, then all that's left is a waiting time for it to show up. The problem is, during the waiting time, it's easy to get discouraged and start doubting and wavering and trying to figure things out and then we lose ground and we lose sight of what God has already given us. That is a strong word right there that I just shared. It, if we can get this inside of us, it will, it, it will do amazing things. That's my heart's desire. Lord, do this in me. Do this in me. Uh, the world says seeing is believing, but in the kingdom of God, believing is seeing. That's the way it works. Hebrews 11, 6 says, whoever comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's impossible to please him without faith. Romans 12, 3 says that God has given every person the measure of faith. So it's a gift. He's given us the potential, the ability to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. True faith begins where the will of God is known. Let me say that again. True faith begins where the will of God is known. That's why it's important. How do we know what the will of God is? It's in the word of God. The testament, the word testament means will. We have, we, we have a covenant, his promises, his word. The Word of God is the will of God. When we find out that the Bible says this is God's will, 
then that gives us, then, then, then we have the ability to believe for it. Sometimes, you see, when, when we ask for whatever we desire, we believe we receive, we'll receive, that always takes into account that whatever you're praying for is lining up with what God has promised. If it doesn't, if it's something really weird, something that's, uh, that's uh, anti-God, something that brings harm or hurt and you're praying for, no, no. When we pray in faith, we must pray lining up with what the Word of God says. That puts it into effect. Super important. The parallel to this Mark 11 uh, verses we read is Matthew 7, 20. And look what it says. It says, Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and take a lot of it, but it just needs to be there, needs to grow. Then you will say to this mountain, there he, there he goes again, talking to mountains, talking to fig trees, talking to mountains. He says, if you say to the mountain, move from here to there, it will move. And he ends with this, for nothing is impossible for you. Now, when I hear that, my jaw drops and I swallow hard. You know, one of the things I go back, here's what will happen many times. And I'm moving as fast as I can, but we need, we need to touch on this. We've got to get this before we go today. What happens is that we allow experience and circumstances to override our confidence in what God says. So when I say, that God's word says nothing is impossible. And as a Christian, as a Christian, most of us are going to say, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that nothing is impossible for him who believes in accordance with God's word? Most all of us, practically all of us, if not all of us are going to say, yes, I believe. Well, we believe because God can do anything. So certainly we believe that. But here's what negates that, or here's what makes it difficult, and I think you can connect with this, is that if you have faced some situations in the past, and you prayed, and it seemed like an impossible situation, and you prayed, and it didn't happen, then you remember that. If you're going through something right now, and you're praying and believing for something, you need a miracle. And all of us could use some miracles. Little miracles are big miracles. And we have some people in this congregation that are they're looking at some big obstacles in their life. And I know that they have a heart for the Lord. And I know that they know His Word, believe His Word is true. And I know that they believe that with God anything is possible. But they have not seen that miracle yet. And the breakthrough has not come yet. And so when that happens... You have a tendency to begin asking questions. Why is it not happening? What's wrong with me? What have I done wrong? Do I not have enough faith? We all, we walk through those things. Or we say, well, then maybe it's not God's will. And we find as that happens, we find ourselves backing further and further and further away from the miracle. But it's easy to get discouraged when you believe you've done all that you could do and you're looking for a miracle and you don't see it yet, it's, it's, it's difficult to keep doing that without getting weary and just kind of giving up. But I want to say to whoever's here 
and whoever may be watching online and whoever may listen to this message later and whoever may be listening on television, I want to say to each and every one of you that no matter how long it has been or how big the obstacle or how discouraged you may have, be have become or how the enemy tries to bring doubts to you, I want to encourage you, you stay in the Word. You anchor into His truth. You surround yourself with people of faith. You feed your mind with positive, faith-filled things, words. And you stand your ground. And whether you feel like things are changing or not, you continue to stand on and say, Lord, I know that all things are possible. I have prayed and believed for this. I may not see a great change today, but I believe that it is taking place. I believe that, it, that it's progressing in my life. And I believe that I will see it no matter how miraculous it seems. Amen. I just want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't feel like you're any less Christian because you're struggling with something right now. And don't feel like necessarily it's because you don't have enough faith. All you got to have is faith, grain of mustard seed. I don't know what's preventing. I don't know in different situations what's preventing the complete breakthrough of miracle at this point in time. All I know is that heaven tells us what God's will is. And there's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease. There's no lameness. There's no blindness. There's no deafness in heaven. And Jesus said, when you pray, say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is being done or as it's done in heaven. That's our goal. That's our mark that we're going for. And if it hasn't happened yet, don't give up. Don't turn loose. Because I'm telling you, I don't know how many people you got standing with you, but I, I know that you got two that are standing with you believing for that breakthrough for you. So have faith in God. Jesus said have faith in God. Literally, we could say, there's different ways we could say that. It says have faith in God. It also reads in Greek, have faith, have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith. Think about that just a moment. Jesus says, you need to have the God kind of faith. Well, what kind of faith is that? In Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says that he spoke the world's into existence. By faith, God spoke it into existence and it manifested itself. I know that's true because it's also in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews, look what he says. Hebrews, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse uh, three, I believe it is. It, it says that by faith, we know that the, the, the worlds were formed. We'll talk about that here just a little bit more in, in a moment. But we know that God Establish the worlds by faith. Faith is real. It takes faith in our life. We need to believe in the awesomeness of God and His power for today. He is awesome. Oh, so much more I could stay there. But hey, the Bible says He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. If He can do that, then our problem's not too big for Him. Hear it, amen? amen? Look at this quickly. Look at this quickly. Uh, faith, first of all, is a gift. Then it's a law. God gave us certain laws or principles. This is how faith works. He says, I'm going to give you faith. And I'm going to show you how it works to receive. And then there is a, the life of faith that develops inside of us that shows practically faith must be followed up by works or it's useless. And then I think what we want to come to, faith, can you identify with this? Faith 
When you're praying for something, it sometimes, and believing for something, it seems like it's a battle continually. It seems like you're praying and begging, saying, God, please, God, please, God, please. It seems like you're just fighting for something. You're trying, you're struggling, you want to get there. I got to get to the place to where I, I'm going to see this happen. Is that, is that what prayer seems like to you? Seems, seems like that to you sometimes? Is that what, Lord, I just need more faith. I just need more faith. Help me to believe. Help me to have more faith. And so it's like it's a continual battle or struggle. Here's an important, important thing for us to remember. God wants us to experience faith in such a way to where we can rest in it. There is a rest in true faith. What we want to do is to stay in His Word and before the Lord in His presence enough. It doesn't take eight hours a day necessarily. Just, Just on a continuing basis, keep His truth inside of you. Surround yourself with it. And when you do that, something's going to build inside of you. Now listen, listen. You'll begin to picture you begin to picture what you're praying for down the inside of you. This is more than just visualizing. But faith will cause it to rise up inside of you. And then you know what you need to do? Rest. Say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to quit fighting for this because the battle's already been won. I'm going to quit trying to figure out whether I got enough faith or not because I already prayed and believed. And what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to thank you. And I'm going to look to you for strength not to get discouraged. And I'm going to keep believing and persevere until it happens. I'm just going to rest in it. I'm going to rest in it. So very, very important for us to know and believe. Well, understand Jesus said, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Now, That was number one. Next week will be number two, number three, and number four. As I show you four things that Jesus teaches us to help us have a mountain-moving faith. He tells us four things in those verses, and it begins with have the faith of God. And that's, that's that's what we want. We want that God kind of faith. We want to believe without doubting. And when that happens, there's three things you're supposed to do that will bring you to a place of receiving. So stay tuned. Pray. Be here next Sunday. If you can't be, be online with us and stay connected on this because this is super important. This is going to move us in to some things that I think we have for this next fall. I really believe that with all my heart. Amen. Let's stand, please. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. So much, so much, Lord. So much for us to hear. Amen. How many of you here this morning, uh, you've been, I think the Lord's really challenged you through this word that you you want to get to a place to where you learn how to stand in faith. 
you learn how to anchor into a type of faith that will move obstacles, that will move mountains, that will move things, the enemy that comes against you. It's important for people of God to learn to speak to those things with authority and tell them to move and stand on the truth and believe that God will bring it to pass. How many of you have been challenged this morning to say, hey, I want to walk in that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith. That's the kind of life. Wave your hand at me if that's the kind of faith you want to walk in. Well, amen. Again, wave your hand if you want to yes. I can't imagine why any person would not want to do that. But we mean it, Lord. We mean it. We mean it. We mean it. So this morning, Lord, we celebrate you. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, we celebrate you today. I pray over each one of this congregation. Give us a boldness to walk according to your word. Give us, O oh Lord, the wisdom to understand it. And Holy Spirit, reveal these truths to us and then help us to build that faith inside of us until we find that rest, that deep abiding confidence that it is done in the name of Jesus. We give you the praise. We give you the glory for it. And we receive now in Jesus' name. Amen.